Over a dozen novels or novellas under the pseudonym William Michelson led us to a conversation about Kyle Witter, as his name, his earlier years, his process for writing, and how I ended up eating ants. I know, you have questions, we have the answers, but after this obligatory introduction. I'm Shaquille, hi, nice to meet you. And this is the creator's box where I try to unpack these stories, techniques, and issues facing local creatives. Today, we're taking a trip down a writer's block to learn how he grew through his writer's block. Let's start nowhere else but the beginning. So, what was the first opinion you formed of yourself? Oh my gosh, I've always said that I'm... I'm complicated mm-hmm. and and I think I adapted um, to that very quickly because you know it just happens to be true I'm very complicated in being I think that just makes me unique and an acquired taste and I like it I like that opinion of myself so that complicated opinion of yourself do you still hold that opinion years later um, you know, I feel like it's just a running theme in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because it's, it's sort of more, it's more than an opinion. It's, it's, it's almost a motto. Mm. You know, it's like blueprint. It's, it's structure. Okay. And this is something that you just keep going back to every now and again. You're like, you know, I'm a very complicated man and I'm just going to leave it at, at that. Yeah, because there's so many norms in society that people conform to. And I always find myself on the outside of that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm complicated. I'm just different. This is it. Full stop. Nice. All right. So still sticking with when you're growing up, because that's something I'm still curious about. Can, <laughs> can you describe the most exciting parts of maybe your house or your neighborhood from childhood? Take me all the way back there. Most exciting? <laughs> I don't know, um, you know, because there was a lot of homeschooling going on and I spent a lot of time inside. And then when I was outside for most of my single digit years, let's just call it that, um, I was by myself, you know, discovering insects and plants and just sitting, you know, in some shade beneath a, a tree somewhere, just being by myself and, and discovering how much I love you know, just being in that company. Did you eat ants too? No, but you know what? I I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember being behind this unfinished house um, here in my community. And I saw these mysterious little, what looked like miniature sinkholes, but not really going underground. They, just, they form up like an upside down cone. Mm. And I remember I was watching a line of ants because I was very curious about the ant family and one of them went into it and then this thing just sprung up and, and sort of clutched it between claws and, and pulled it down. And I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> and as as simple as it sounds, it was very exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I never had access to my siblings at the time. And so I used to then, because I want to see what that thing is, I used to just sort of put 
ants into it, which is true. Like, no, I'm very sorry, ant family. I still admire these structures. <laughs> Wait, so years, years later, you're apologizing to the ants that you murdered. All right. That's fine. <sighs> yeah, like a whole family of ants, you know? And I... They never, they never came up for the really big ones, which just added to the curiosity. Mm. So I just be experimenting and see which one it comes for. And it turns out they, they call it nanny goats yeah. or whatever. That, yeah. I don't think that's what it's called, but that's what we've, we've been going with, you know, for, for this all the childhood. And just ever since, I've never checked to see what it is or what it's called or its lifestyle. I just knew, I just found it entertaining that it would come up and just like snatch something and just go back on the ground okay editor shack here so i had to go and google this and it turns out i know exactly what these things are so the internet says these are the larval form of the lace wing group of insects also known as antlions they're known primarily for the funnel shaped pits they made in dry soft dirt to trap ants there's not an option I have right now to show you your yeah, image of this. But listen. I know them something here. What? Yeah, there are persons on this website saying we call them nanny goat. Why don't, why you call them nanny goat? Why? These don't look like goats. These certainly don't look like nanny. Why on why on earth would you call them nanny goat? Someone said, I assume this insect was named after Nanny of the Maroons, one of our female national heroes, and her titty. That's kind of gross. I've never seen this insect before. Oh, so it makes a depression in the ground. Like, okay, all of this is tan tangential. I'm sorry that I'm taking you through this, but you're, you're here. You're along for the ride. And I'm learning. You're learning. Here we are. Back to the show. I think your your childhood was way more fascinating than mine. In in that regard, at least. Because I used to just I used to just eat them bad boys. I'll tell you a story. So when I was at basic school, there were all the other kids running around to the back, doing all the naughty stuff that kids used to do, in addition to finding and bottling some of the insects, right? You have the 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 forty leg, we have the the butterflies sometimes in in um bottles and then i saw this one child that turned into two three four and it turned into like this buffet people were just like fully nibbling on these things and i was like this is strange but this is no in order to be a part of the group i needed to do this too i needed to to nibble some ants i this is the first time i've ever talked about this but my first taste, I was like, this is very acidic. I don't know if maybe I chose the one that is the spiciest, but I said, you know, this is fine. At that time, I wasn't thinking too much of it. I just leapt in because I wanted to be part of the group, part of the tribe. So, yeah, I was making a meal of them. And one decided that, nah, I'm not going down there to fight. And it bit me on the lip. I've never, uh, I've never eaten an ant since then. I don't know why this, why that story was relevant, but I'm just trying to relate to your ant story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You, you might as well just say, okay, your first kiss was with an ant. Exactly. First kiss was with an ant. That's great. You mentioned that you had siblings. Tell me about siblings. I never knew you had siblings. You, you come across to me as a canner. 
lone wolf type. So hearing that you had siblings is kind of new to me. That never came up in the research. So yeah, <laughs> research. Um, <laughs> yes, I actually have siblings. I have um, an only sister and what three, three and seven brothers. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. Seven. Okay. Alright, seven. A whole football team. Alright, cool. <laughs> Did you get to interact with all of them in your growing years? Um Yes, I did, but you know, I was never really fond of it. Because there was a lot of teasing and um, you know, we just didn't it's at first when we all got together, it's like we came from different worlds. Mm -hmm. Then there's a lot of teasing and you know, playing that, I just didn't understand because I've been by myself and that's all I understood. Right. Um, but there were moments when we did interact. Um, we used to break dance, the one that is immediately older than I am, and then my younger, my younger sibling, which is my sister. And so, you know, we had moments where we'd binge watch series. You know, growing up, we were Disney kids and Nickelodeon kids. Um, we are very adventurous from tree climbing because we're surrounded by trees where we grew up and the trees would connect from branch to branch and we'd just run across and like sort of like tarzan something kind of jungle behavior um, i can't imagine and i'm trying to imagine you jungling <laughs> and it's not working but all right <laughs> you're taking me through your childhood yeah um yeah, yeah it was it was very physical and you know we'd have like sports competition amongst ourselves and We'd have um, just a lot of stunts. Mm -hmm. I was very fascinated by stunts and flips and that, and um, break dancing, like I said, which led into the stunts and flips. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there was a little bit of gaming. Um, we're big fans of the NFS series Need for Speed. What? And um, Mortal Kombat, which I still play today a little bit. I haven't from the start of this year because I just sort of in book 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 and then you know writing and then everything else i think you made a fan out of me just now you say you played mortal kombat I, brilliant just know i'm a fan now continue <laughs> i think it's the best video i don't i don't particularly like mission games mm. so i don't yeah i like the thing with the blood and the cut and the you know, <laughs> okay decapitation yeah. pulling yeah, out yeah, spines and everything killing. yes nice mm-hmm and it was very short and interactive, and then you could just switch players and, um, you know, you play with people online and you don't have actual players to, to work with here. So it's, it was fun. Mm -hmm. Do you think that kind of led directly into how physical you were sports-wise? Because I know you're, you're an athletic person. So did that childhood growing up being very active, liking active games, did that ever filter straight into you doing sports? Um, no, it, I wouldn't say that there was a relation, but I think sports was introduced to me when I, we started watching, um, the World Athletics Championships and the Olympics, mm -hmm. like in the family. And so I'd be seeing all these athletes and they're doing these great things. But, um, it, so I, I do that, you know, when I could and by myself and a lot of times with other people. And sometimes when we had like the summer holidays or winter holidays and visit, family in various places we'd go into the neighborhood with the kids and we'd run across pavements and stuff and that was fun um 
but it was it was something more personal for me mm-hmm. um, when i would i remember as a child i i had like like a really big belly like <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I laughed. Uh, whoever's listening to this at some point, I, I'm not laughing at a big belly. I'm not being, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not being fat phobic or anything. You're not defending anybody. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, I can't imagine you being the person that you are or the person I know you to be having like a beer belly. I just, I can't picture that. Yeah. It, it was proper. It was proper. It was very soft and just there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just thought that it wasn't presentable. And even in, in times when I was okay with it and, you know, we'd all make jokes with it because I don't come from a family where you're, you're made to be thin-skinned. So, ah, okay. You know, it was it was neither here nor there for me. But then, you know, high school was coming up and I'm like, mm-mm, nope, nope, nope. And so I started to, to partake a little bit more in sport with specific interest in, you know, building my body in a particular way so that i can feel comfortable with it mm. i like that so it's was it sort of a mental fortitude thing sort of building your mental strength at that age i, I don't even think so because i feel like just being born in my family you, it, mental strength is innate you need it to to just endure you know just a day-to-day wow so you're crazy people you were being um, like bullied or persecuted. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that you're, you're being bullied, but it there there are days when it felt like you know it you were an episode of Family Matters, and there are days when it felt like okay, you know that this is what you need to do as this member of the family, and mm-hmm. then no excuses get it done. So it felt a little bit militant, and I never mind it. You know, it it's it's structure and. I love structure, I love instructions, and I like knowing that, you know, there are consequences for living. Can you can you give me more detail on that? There's there are consequences for living. Give me more detail on that. Yeah, you know how in some families you will um especially in modern times you'll hear the children sort of be of the opinion that you know what we we're not really responsible for ourselves we didn't want to be here you know we could have been thrown away in a condom and really in truth you're already here is what my family was saying you're already here these are your responsibilities this is how you execute it and there are no questions about it Mm -hmm. and when when i compared that structure to other families that i'd see around you know the kids kind of free and um, not really understanding that, you know, there's certain objectives. I guess you could say that they got a chance to just grow up without thinking too far ahead. Yeah. But because we had so many different structures going on in our family, we knew that, okay, I was responsible to go do the dishes. So I know that if I'm asleep at a certain time and the sun is up and the sun is hot, there's, there's going to be trouble because mm. I have a responsibility that I, I need to go carry out. Right, right. So I think it, it just instilled this level of discipline and commitment in our, in our person and in our character that it was a norm and there was nothing else to understand until even further learning. Hmm. I suppose, I suppose there's, there's part of my journey that, maybe resonates with that a little bit. I understand, I completely understand the sun being up 
and my mom being up at the same time, I don't know how she does it, but every, especially on the weekends, whenever I'm in bed and she's up and it's daytime, she's, she's rousing you up. Even if there's nothing to do or if you feel as though there's nothing to do, she's going to come in and be like, listen, you need to move. You need to get active because I can't be in here while you are here and you're laying down. Um, so I kind of understood that. I kind of felt like I needed to grow up faster than I should have grown up. Um, I don't know if that's something that was the same in your household when you were growing up. You know, it's, I, I honestly don't, I don't know how my siblings see it, but I know that they see it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we don't, I don't think we agree on many things, um, which makes us a rather loud bunch at times. But <laughs> it, it is what it is. They might see it as being placed with responsibilities that they're not obligated to carry out. Mm. I just see it as, oh, you know, I'm being, I'm involved in this activity. I'm a part of the family holding together and accomplishing something on a day to day as a unit. Mm-hmm. And it just taught me good work ethic. It taught me that, you know, life is not just going to give you the things that you desire. You have to get up and you have to put your shoulder to the wheel and you have to go get it right i mean not many people have that kind of mindset and i can understand why because not everybody grew up the way you did but if you were to try and and this is probably something i'd want to figure out later on in this conversation but since it's relevant no is there anything somebody can do to maybe adopt that or they just have to kind of figure that out as they go along by that i mean just putting your shoulder to the wheel because maybe a lot of people want to get up and do things and be productive and have a strong work ethic. Um, but they aren't really able to get going. Is there, is there anything that you used to get going? Well, you know, back then it was this, the question, what is going to happen if I don't do this? And Mm. in our family where you had, different levels of discipline then you know what's going to happen if you don't do this you know you you're either going to be talked to really harshly you're going to be spanked um you know something you love is going to be taken away from you and so you just understood that okay there's a consequence to this it might not always happen but there's a consequence and to me um it taught me that i should always take the initiative i don't need something or someone to inspire me to do something that I want to accomplish something that I want to accomplish to achieve something that I want to achieve I think that's that mindset can make you really lazy and then you're going to be the dependent variable when it's really not to do with the someone or something else that's inspiring you motivating you mm-hmm. you need to generate that from within and it it it's reflected in so many people's lives. You know, people say, oh, I'm a little bit overweight on the exercise, but I don't have time to go to the gym. Right. I have time to do it at home, but I don't have time to do it at the gym. But when I'm at home, I'm not motivated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. You know, but it's people's opinions, so I can't respond too harshly. And, you know, I don't know the way that they grew up. I don't know the way that they think. And But I'm like, mm, sure, okay. Yeah, and I just switch topic because I don't want to start expressing myself, and then you know someone's offended because everybody is offended. <laughs> yeah. 
by something these days. So I rather just rest my opinion and in the truth and the fact is sometimes I just don't care. Mm. So just to to make sure I solidify that point because I want to make sure that whoever might listen to this may get some value from it. So you you ask yourself or something that you ask yourself is what's the consequence if I don't do something about this? Yep. Right. Okay. I get that. I get that. I'm I'm allowing, I'm allowing that to kind of stew because that makes <laughs> that that makes sense. You know, that's probably a question I'll start asking myself later on, right? That's an important question. Ah, I got you. So school life, you know, was it the same lone wolf journey from home life to school life? Were you kind of a, a shut in? People who came and asked you for like some of your lunch, you're like, listen, if you get close, I'll just snap your neck. Don't talk to me. Uh, no, um, not at all, because I was never a fan of lunch. Um, <laughs> and it's going to sound so strange. Yeah, I, used, I mean. I used to just prefer snacking. Oh, okay. I was not a fan of this. I thought you meant I'm. I'm just not a food person. I don't eat. Oh, I just. You know what? I just photos. <laughs> I just photosynthesize. <laughs> a lot it. of my, a lot of my friends actually make that joke. Um, oh wow! Yeah, because yes. I I mostly eat like I'll have a salad or you know something that just is not again a part of the norm, and it's not because I live on this. It's not just because I live on this sort of dieting lifestyle, but in high school, they they had two things, really. They had the, the lunch in the lunchbox where it's always rice and peas yeah, um, and some style of chicken. And then, you know, you had like patty and maybe some days you'd have um, like a hot dog. Again, stuff I don't, I don't fancy, you know, I'm not into that. And so I just find like wheat snacks and... As a matter of fact, I think it was in in grade eight that persons noticed that I wasn't in a lunch line or I wasn't, you know, doing certain things. And so um, by, I think by the October, yeah, because it was raining, but it was by the October, like, they started calling me the names of the snacks. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, is this what bullying is like? I mean, as a as a Disney kid and a Nickelodeon kid, Nick at Night kid, and that type of stuff, I saw what they depicted as bullying. Right. And I always wanted to be the kid that's been bullied because at the time I had a temper, and I'm like, it. But to me, it wasn't bullying. You know, people were just just had nothing to do. I couldn't care anymore. Mm. Um, I did then, and so it it it, it didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just me buying my snacks and a lot of juice. I love juice. I'm like fruit juice and, or drink mm-hmm. um, juice. Did you get called uh, fruit juice a lot? Oh, no. Um, no but I, I never really had friends in high school, so I can't relate to say that, I, I, you know, people had the time to notice me and to give me additional names. So it, it wasn't anything like that. Mm. Okay. So for now, it was just you and your snacks uh-huh. trying to philosophize what bullying was. <laughs> where, where, what has your mindset now graduated to now you're in? Th- this is what? Primary school, high school, where are we at now? This is high school. Okay. I mean, has your mindset elevated well beyond your years now? Are you now 
deeply involved in extracurricular activities representing the school. Is that where you're at? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when you when you enroll into anything educational, you have set goals, and whatever those goals are, you tend to stick to them. Mm-hmm. I had opportunity to to engage in things and to to participate in things, and I'd always decline because. I've realized that people don't know how to, to handle being different and people don't know how to handle conflicts. Mm-hmm. And instead of teaching them, I'd rather not deal with them. So if I had to interact with people on a certain level, then I just would, would not participate. At this point, your academics are probably over the moon. Your parents are like proud of you. They're giving you money, trips to <laughs> France, right? <laughs> Uh, no. Um, I mean, high school, high school is just a phase that we try to slip through as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's exactly what it was because, you know, you, you enter high school, you already have some perception. For me, it was okay. This is not necessarily the building block of my career path, but it's, it's, I guess it's something important to step in stone. Mm-hmm. And, I was like, all right, cool. But then you go into school and you get this very long list of subjects that you need to take. Yeah. To add to that, you have to be there five days a week. Like, what? Right. And and I'm like, okay, let me just process this. And I honestly can say to you that I did what I felt like doing. Mm. I was still getting the grades or I'd be kicked out of the school. Um, and I was still attending, you know, some good percent of the time. <laughs> and I was participating in classes and, you know, in the activities that you're forced to do. You don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just tried to find little moments to enjoy pieces of it each day. And then as soon as that last bell would go, <laughs> I'm through the gates. Yeah. And I would feel free, like the legit feeling of freedom would just become me and i'd probably smile the first time for the whole day i'm not gonna lie this sounds this sounds a little depressing this sounds unhappy <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it sounds like you, you weren't enjoying your time at school was this is this true i didn't i didn't find what was there to enjoy um i did enjoy math class my class was very competitive mm. um i did enjoy french when i started learning it and music um you know, so because of the the variety of subjects that you were exposed to, mm-hmm. um, you found pieces of joy. I was so bad at art, but I loved art. Um, and then, you know, you had the things that were really just a pain in your side, like things like geography, like what, what do I need to learn? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I... I never saw, first of all, I, it wasn't the school of my choice. The school of my choice was Kingston College. Mm. But You're going to make a lot of people happy if they listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> the school of my choice was Kingston College. And when I was placed there, I was like, okay, no, too far from where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, too dangerous at the time because, you know, nothing good was being said about the school aside from the quiz team. Um and so it, it did paint a scary picture of being downtown Kingston in the 5 a.m., 6 a.m. type of situation. Mm, mm-hmm. I'd never been downtown before, so it was, it was really 
not a decision on my part, but still a decision that was made. Yeah. And so, you know, being enrolled at St. Diego, it just felt like being sentenced to a prison for five years. And I had to make what I could of it. There were moments that I laughed a little bit more than I cared to. Um, and there are things that, the valuable things that I, you know, eventually learned and, and took away from the school. So, well, I wouldn't exactly say, like, I'd be having conversations with my friends and they're like, oh, high school is so fun. Yeah. Oh, went to this party and that party and, oh, you remember when this girl did that in the class? And I'm like, what? Man, you are so, so mentally removed. You checked out. I checked out. There are days when I'd, I'd be like, okay, mom is about to leave. All right, cool. She's leaving within the time that I'd normally leave. Let's let her just go. And then I'd pretend that I went to school. But even that caught up to me um, because apparently it's a thing in high school where they call your parents like, why is he not at school? Right. I mean, yeah. What Was it that you hated school that much or was it because, I don't know, it wasn't valuable? What was it that made you just decide, <laughs> I'm not going to do this? School is very valuable. Um, you know, I, I understood that from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But the repeat of this whole uniform, you know, sitting on a bench. <laughs> like It was the benches that did it, man. <laughs> God, these damn benches. This, this whole structure that never changed. Mm-hmm. You get there in the morning, um, your, your class lead, your form teacher would come in and she... Or he would be like, okay, who's here? And they'd go through this register. And they'd have this strictness about them, like, okay, listen to me and ask no questions. Mm. And then after that, you know, you're instructed to go assemble here, assemble there to pray. They don't even know if, if, if this you, is what you pray to. I agree. But they're like, okay, yeah. come here. And if you don't, then these are the consequences. Mm. So it literally felt at times like a prison. Mm. And then everything was just so fixed on a schedule and nothing should fall out of line. And that's just the education system. So I can't really, you know, strike them for that. But it was so annoying. Mm. I have to challenge you on that, though. If there's anybody ever out there asking the question, but you said earlier on when you were growing up and in your family, you had a lot of structure. You had Mm. uh, rigid... um, ways in which you did things so you should feel at home in a rigid structure like school why why is it that this structure didn't work for you the structure wasn't working for me because there's the absence of desire i didn't desire to be there ah okay okay so the difference with your family yeah i knew what i was getting from you know obviously going to school and scoring grades and moving up like literally you know how you'd be waiting for something and you probably have like a, a countdown clock. That's how I was scoring, um, counting up to get out of there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I never had the desire to be, I never felt like, oh, you know, kids will wake up September and they're like, oh my gosh, school. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. As a matter of fact, I'm not sorry. I was not one of them. <laughs> All right. Was this around the time you started using the creative side of yourself to start writing? Is this where your um, creative writing juices started flowing? Nope. Um, In high school, I actually hated literature. Mm. Um, Well, first year, first year, first year, 
No. Yes, first year. Um, but then they forced the silver sword upon us, and we had to read it. Yeah, that and book. I up, yeah, I ended up reading it twice because I really liked it. Mm. And I was blessed with a literature teacher that she just knew how to instruct in a way that made you f- you feel like you belong in the class and that this subject is something that will matter to you. And I I actually saw her about three years ago. Um, and I think that was the first time in a couple of years because she only taught me once. You look so familiar. And the, one of the reasons why I really, I think about her at times is I remember we were, she was asking to describe a moment in a story, to describe how a relationship grew. And I remember I was explaining it to her and I said, yeah, you know, this relationship truly blossomed. And she just stopped and she was looking at me a type of way that I still don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, you know, you're going to be very good with words. And I laughed at the time because I was just obsessed with math and I just laughed. I'm like, <laughs> you're crazy. But, mm-hmm. you know, thank you. Um, but she she left an imprint, you know, she, she left a mark. And I appreciate her for that because it does so happen that it's a skill that was, I don't know where it came from. I always say that it's from God. Mm. Um, and it's something that I've managed to to, to monetize and something that I enjoy doing and it's something that has rescued me from a lot of darkness and a lot of sadness and a lot of um, euphoria. So it's, it's, it didn't start in high school, but it's, it's definitely one of those things that felt like it was set to go off like an alarm mm. later on in life. And it certainly did. Can you describe your first badly written draft? Oh, first badly written draft. Um, I mean, no, we're getting into the tough questions because how dare I ask the great Kyle if he's ever written anything bad? Of course, every time he touches a page, is gold. I mean, it's blasphemous for me to ask a question, honestly. But people might want to know. Um. So in high school, mm-hmm. we had. You know what? Now that I think about it, it might have started in high school, but I wasn't paying any attention to it. But in high school, we had um, a course of a subject called library skills. Mm. And um, I really, really, I didn't like that. I, I felt like the teacher was way too energetic. Um, <laughs> too energetic. I felt, like, I felt like she was overreaching. She was like teaching in, in 3D and I just... I was like, okay. <laughs> like this. I've never heard that term in my entire life before. You're teaching in 3D. Is that how is that a negative thing? That sounds like something you want, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess in a class that you want to be a part of, yes. But mm. In a class that you, you know, you would. <laughs> <laughs> You'd rather skip. <laughs> she was way too animated for you. She's like up in your face. Yeah. Uh, I got you. Yeah, she, mm-hmm. But you know what? She really brought the class to life because people were engaged and rightfully so. But she gave this assignment, which to me was the most dreadful assignment in high school. Mm. And it was to write a novel. Like, are you, no, she wanted us to create a book. Um, but the story had to be a particular length, which I understand now to be close to a novella rather than a novel. And 
I don't know. I had no ideas. I had no, I was just blank. I'm like, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to? And then she wanted it all typed up and bind and proper. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. What I needed the grade. I couldn't afford to fail the class. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what the time the consequence of failing was. So I went in and I remember I came home and I was like, okay, what am I going to write about? And I fell asleep had this weird dream about black holes opening up on on earth and sucking things in <laughs> like okay <laughs> yeah I'm gonna, I, I got up and it was all about you know aliens visiting the planet which i guess i can touch that later but you know just weird stuff going on in my head i'm like what the hell is going on because at yeah. the time i never watched stuff like this so i can't Blame it, blame it on mass media influencing my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm going to write the story. Um, I don't remember exactly how it ended, but I wrote it. And <laughs> I think I did it. I waited so long. It was like the night before I was due. So it was, it was so terrible. It had everything grammatically incorrect. It, mm. it was handwritten. <laughs> it was a proper mess. I had like marking out and writing you know sort of scribble words over the marking up so it was it was a total mess of a draft and you know as someone who writes now professional like that was a whole mess <laughs> it was a whole mess but when i think about it now that you've asked me it you know it, it just hits me like oh you know you've always had it you just never know how to enable it and how to use it mm-hmm. do you think there are persons who might listen to this one day and think you know it's in them whatever it is that they're planning to do creatively it's in them but they just haven't as you said enabled it they haven't activated it yet yeah you know what if if i've come to understand anything about this mankind humanity is that we all have some innate gift that we either learn how to, to own and to cultivate and possibly monetize or we we never discover it Mm. until or we we discover it but just not on that level where we're so brave or we devote the time because a lot of our our natural talents are killed because you know we have to take a job or Mm. to focus on linear progression in life because everybody says you know when you leave school you should go join the military you should become a policeman or you know doctor goes straight into uni go get a job that type of thing and because you might not be fortunate enough to a lot the time to to growing into that discipline into growing into that skill so it gets sacrificed and then you, you've completely forgotten it has there ever been criticisms that has hurt about your writing but has had value for you um Hurt. I don't know. Hurt. I you see, <laughs> growing up, um, inadvertently, I was taught to really listen to my criticism, mm. right? To, to give air to constructive criticism, to give air to people who just want to talk trash and crap, but, you know, to just have that ambient space for whatever I'm thinking about, whatever I'm saying. Um, but I don't know, hurtful. I remember the first novel that I wrote and had intent to publish. <laughs> there's this there's this publisher that 
they they ask for like a portion of your your manuscript, and then they get it. <laughs> they like it. They're like, okay, send us the whole book. Send us the whole book. So that sort of sort of you know ripens your excitement, and you're like, oh, okay, here, you know. And then in publishing, they have a system of really long waits because you know lots of writers are submitting stuff. Mm-hmm. But then six months down the line. You get this very, very long email, um, and I remember that email was was saying that my writing style is is too old. It's too old. Yes, they're saying that it's too old. It's oh, okay. too old. They're saying that the story is contemporary, but the writing is old. Like the words are too, I don't know, too formal. I guess. So in in literature, you have different styles of writing that can tell a story in a modern sense. Mm-hmm. And in a set, I don't know if you've ever read anything Shakespeare or Jane Austen. Or I try not to because I've already lost enough brain cells. I try not to <laughs> lose too much. So I I only do that if I have to, or if I'm if I'm urged to, if I'm inspired to, if maybe. If I read more uh, more things that you've written, then then sure, I've only read the the the, the one book. But yeah, I, I I have a little bit, just a little taste of the Shakespearean life. Yeah, so it, the writing was a lot like that. Um, even though the story was was really just a, a modern style kind of tale, um, and mentioning things of you know contemporary life but i've always loved how the writers of the past would say something mm-hmm. and it could mean a hundred different things and it could still sit in the story you know like some kind of codex or something and so i adapted the style and i i practice it i guess you could say in my, my personal life and i think it's it's very entertaining to say something to someone and they just they know that it's supposed to be a compliment or they know that it's supposed to bring them some kind of delight and they just have this dumb smile on their face and they don't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yep, objective accomplished. Yeah, you did it. Pretty much. Nice. Are you intentional about making your stories or your characters stand out? Because with criticism like that, did you feel like you needed to maybe break the mold or go out of your way to make this now, I don't know, appeal to the the whoever's reading it more forcefully. So now you have to really go outside of yourself to really make an impact on someone. Do you do that or have you done that in your body of work? Um, I have to say no and yes. No, because... Your style of writing, it comes from within mm-hmm. and it, it comes from what you want to, how you want to tell the story, what you want people to feel. Mm-hmm. And 99.9% of the time when you're writing something, you don't think about what you want people to feel. You just write what you feel. Mm-hmm. You write what your characters feel and then you leave the rest for interpretation for the reader. But yes, because I did, <laughs> I did a novel um, recently, and it's set here. So to make it come alive as something set in Jamaica, I had to 
do a lot of Creole writing. And when I submitted that to my friend in the Writers Guild of America, um, I remember she, she sent me like this response with everything in Creole highlighted. She's like, oh, what is this? What is this? What is this? What, what are you saying here? What are you saying here? Like, <laughs> so you had to like translate. <laughs> I'm like, listen, um, like she could get, you know, pick things. It's like reading Spanish and having basic Spanish knowledge. Mm. And you're like, oh, this, you know, you want to go left and, you know, maybe to a bathroom. But like the essence of the story was, was game. It's just that to, give life to these words in in a setting that is in jamaican is really difficult and i'm like okay cool um and i had to just go through one chapter and give an all a whole english version of it that didn't set the same tone because right. you, you say something cruel and you say something standard english and it, it's not giving you the same energy right and because of that i sort of had to to turn like a female character in, into a, you know, a Cali from the Valley or some crap like that. And right. It was so difficult. It, it felt like dumbing down something that didn't need to be dumbed down. But right. I understood its purpose. And, you know, while that was a challenge, it didn't change my style of writing. It just changed the tone of conversation in the book. Mm. Do you find that to be more challenging if you were to write something that is maybe for a, a more international audience, do you find it challenging to tell a Jamaican story in a way that others understand, or do you try and keep it strictly Jamaican so everybody here understands? Is that ever a challenge to you, for you to make that transition? Um, I can't say yes to that because I've never thought of the Jamaican audience as my readers. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, <laughs> okay. So I and this novel that I had to make those changes to, um, that was a, a project challenge that was very personal. It's not something that's very public. You know, I've been offered a lot of money to to push it and to you know to market and to do stuff, but I feel like it's just one of those things that I'll do later on in life and mm-hmm. not necessarily now because I don't have time to commit to contracts like those. Mm-hmm. Um, but my writing has always been for the international audience because a lot of the, the things that I ghostwrite, they will appear on Amazon, you know, they'll have reviews and I'm like, I'll read the reviews and I'll see people cussing me out about what I did to who in the novel. And like, it, to me, it's just a thing, you know, people are free to have their opinions and people are free to express themselves. If you care too much, then it's just going to affect the writing and the better the writer you are, the less you care about the opinions. Okay. So you, you never think of the fact that you are, you were born here, you you grew up some <laughs> part of your <laughs> life here, <laughs> but your writing doesn't cater to the people here. Does that ever cross your mind? I don't, growing up here, you often hear that, oh, Jamaicans don't read, we, we rather watch plays or listen to dancehall music and go to parties and to drink and, so the you know you don't see kids um definitely young adults and adults barely have time to read and in the the advent of social media it, you don't really think about the readers here you want to think and also about the money Damn. so <laughs> he just like fully like hey listen 
It pays better <laughs> elsewhere. I mean, I get that, man. I get that. Do you think? Get your bread. You mm-hmm. won't just have people here, you know, pull up in a, a bookstore or a pharmacy, which I've seen one of the novels in a pharmacy here. And people coming up and like, oh, you know, I need to read this book. I, I, I've been so interested in this book for the last couple of months. And I'm finally getting a chance to read. Mm-hmm. No, people are binge watching series. You know, that there's so much going on locally that in terms of their work life, their family and, you know, whatever they do for fun, they don't have time to read. Mm. And I thought that, okay, perhaps they're listening to like a an audio book. And I'm like, then you're going to be competing with whatever they would do in their morning sessions. For example, I grew up um, listening to things like Calling Farmers, the BBC, mm-hmm. um, you know, during Samuels and stuff. So your morning is already taken. Then you're at work and then perhaps at lunch you want to interact on your socials. By the time you get home, you know, you have the quiz that's on, you have news that's on, you have that TV show that you probably watch, you know, every week. And so you think about those things when you're deciding where to place your content in terms of money. Mm-hmm. I suppose the market just isn't there locally for that. Uh, it's not attractive. I've, I've thought about a kid's book. Oh. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually thought about that. Because <laughs> recently my friend posted this thing. What was it called? Something Woman and the Spinning Wheel. And I'm like, what is this? Yo, nostalgic shack here. That book brought back so many memories flooding back in. I mean, shout out to all the people who used to read those books in primary school. I mean, A Cocoa Boy, My Father, Son, Son, Johnson, Green Days by the River, Sweet, Sweet Mango Tree. Like, these books were books that I read over and over until the pages creased in them. That's... That's crazy. The Catwoman and the Spinning Wheel. That was... Yeah, that's that's OG. That's OG trauma. For real, for real. She sit down on the coal stove and all her skin... That's crazy. That's... You know what? Sorry. Never mind. Let's, let's go back to it. And he made this whole excitement up, you know, because I didn't know what this book was. Yeah. And I managed to get a copy of this book, and I'm like, I don't recall reading this ever in life. I think we're we're like the the, the woman takes off her skin at night, hides it yes behind a and tree, and gets out of some house. I don't know if it's right. she was murdering or I whatever she was doing, um, and she traumatized this poor guy, probably her husband or something. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, why is this a kid's book? <laughs> <laughs> You're not thinking about what the book, the storyline of the book? No, like she's murdered by someone going and putting salt in her skin oh, and then wow. she puts it on and then she melts. I'm like, this, this is pretty and, gruesome. And we're Fred. censoring dance <laughs> <laughs> But like, no, you know, we're, we were way back then murdering women in their own skin. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, that, that was pretty graphic. I get you. Um, but if it happens, you let me know. And <laughs> if you decide that uh, skin murder is where you want to take it, and people here will be interested in it, I am all for it, bro. All for I it. Guess, you know, we seem to be, have a fascination. 
with killing people and we just not to tell it softly you know to, to tell it hardcore right 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 do you uh are you inspired by anybody do you do you read books that inspire you or do you listen to anyone who inspires you i feel like that's a long list of people all right you know yeah you... really really long list i actually have um a hall of fame in my journal of oh. people who've inspired me um and it's just people who've really owned their craft and who's championed setting a goal and you know just going beyond and above to to accomplish it can you give me two uh, yeah two but then which two which like with first whitney houston for example mm-hmm. um, i think she's one of the the best vocal talents in music history mm-hmm. um and uh so difficult to do you know let me just go with usain bolt because i've 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 got a slight obsession with his story as well. So, you know, let's go with those two. All right. How, what, what have they taught you that maybe you can map onto your own experience? Um, so, Bolt. <laughs> um, Bolt showed me, well, showed the whole world that, well, the country since it happened here, that... In anything that you do in life, there is mental endurance that you'll always need before physical endurance. Mm. You need to be able to to take the wear and tear in your mind, to heal in your mind, because it everything starts in thought. And so I, I never saw it like that when I first heard about this story where he was supposed to participate at the stadium and he was left and homeboy decided that he was going to gonna jog to the stadium from <laughs> from a couple of miles well mm. um, i think he was leaving saint mary or trelawney at the time and he was left by the bus and he had to jog like a lot of that way and i was like wow i would have just gone home probably <laughs> you know and because he had the desire he had a goal um and you know there was this obvious deterrent and he was like you know what nope and just start going because I will get there eventually. And it takes it takes a lot of mental toughness to exercise. And that wasn't exercising. That was running to a meet to then go race and come back. So yeah, that's that's next level. A lot of heroism in that. Um, and as for Whitney, she she inspired practice. As much as her talent is is definitely something that was I feel like was. You know, when someone gives you something, you know, in a really nice, like a posh box with a ribbon on top, and so I feel like that's how she got her voice just handed to her. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then, you know, she trained and she practiced and she grew into sounds from every instrument known to man. And that's not something that comes overnight. It's something that comes with devotion and passion and love. And... Yeah, it just taught me that I need to practice. So whatever it is that I'm doing and that, you know, I love to do, I need to practice. Mm. I think that's a good segue into your 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 techniques, your your process. Is there uh, a process for your writing? Is it can you break down how you get into the flow of writing whenever you do start to write? Music is my process. Mm. <laughs> so music really really old kind of music i'm talking about some 
jazz and blues, sometimes with lyrics, sometimes without lyrics. Um, songs from way back, um, where you can literally hear that it was probably not recorded in a studio, but now we have this version of it. And it's, it requires stillness and calmness of the mind mm-hmm. so it's it, it normally occurs when I'm, I'm less agitated when I don't have anxiety and I don't have um, too much to think about and so it, it just centers me into a room where I'd be sitting down and listening to characters just go about their daily lives and the story starts mm. so I when <laughs> when I was when I was constantly writing as in day by day i would actually say okay i'm gonna get everything done i'm gonna set up my little station and i'm gonna choose a particular time of day you know when the creative juices are flowing because for me it it might be an around the clock kind of thing and it might not so i realized though that you have times during the day where all I want to do is to write and to create and to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. So I built a playlist. And when I know that time was approaching, I'd make sure I get everything done that needs to be done. And then I just sit down, I close my eyes, probably half naked or something, you know, probably in the dark or just watching the sunset or waiting for the moon to lift. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd be listening to what they're saying in the songs until I stop hearing the words and I'm just left with the emotion of it. And then I'd project somehow that emotion would just go into the characters I'm either thinking about or probably having some conversation in my head that at a time might not make any sense. But then when the emotion comes in, it's like it gives it meaning in body. That was, that was almost transcendent. I was like, as you described that, I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely how, if I were to get anything creative done or anything at all, I I just calm myself and allow the emotion to be projected from, I don't know, every, every bead of sweat, (laughs) you know, I feel that, that felt like a, I could imagine you getting this out, you know, and it also feels very strategic because there's parts of the day where your energy's attuned towards writing, right? Your, your playlist is set. You have that time of day or you're in a particular space, particular mood, a particular temperature, and then things just sort of emanate or just exude from you. I like that. I like that. What didn't writing prepare you for? Um, I guess if you decide to do something with the content and it's really good, mm-hmm. writing the content can't prepare you for what is expected of you to do with it. For example, um, publishers have this thing where they want you to, to write an interpretation of it and they want you to go by line by line, chapter by chapter, comment on this expression and that expression. And I'm like, hold on, mm. I wrote it. You know, I, I don't. I don't want to go to literature class for it, but um, yeah, because that's essentially what you're doing. And I discovered that's how academics decide that you're answering a comprehension question incorrectly. 
I'm like, well, this is what I'm getting. You're going to tell me what I'm getting is wrong. But yeah. I don't understand how it's important for you to to communicate what has been expressed because it's it's not always going to be straightforward. And it's also important that your message is clear if a message is supposed to be interpreted. So I can understand that responsibility, but writing it does not, unless you're going to write something as plain as day, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is going to be boring. Um, so it, it doesn't prepare you for that. You know, it doesn't prepare you for people's opinions, um, because, you know, people can just read it and go, oh, it's trash or, oh, I've heard that story before mm-hmm. because I see this when I interact with other writers and I'm like, mm, okay. Um, and, you know, so it's really writing something, you know, you're pouring it all into it, you're you have an, an avenue to filter your emotions and you have this power to do something in a universe that you control. But mm. then when it's really good and you want to do something with it, being the writer doesn't prepare you for any, not one drop of it that is to come. I want to get a, I want to get a little spicy. I don't know if in future I'll turn spicy. this into a, a segment or anything. <laughs> Well, what I suppose you could. Yeah, who, who knows? We'll see. Um, if people give me feedback and they like it, they'll tell me. But what controversial idea will you never let go of? Controversial idea. Mm-hmm. An idea or a fact or, or a notion. Or I mean, if it's a fact, then it's harder to argue, right? If it's a fact, then it doesn't need to be argued. Well, I mean, <laughs> in today's world, people are debating whether or not facts should be accepted. Um, but, uh, if, you know, I've, mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's really a tough question to answer because for there to be something controversial, an idea, a thought, a notion, a fact, you, you have to sort of be invested. You know, you have to, you have to care. Mm. And, the more society evolves, and I really don't know what it's evolving into, um, I just tend to care less. So I stick with the norms that don't change, that seem morally correct. Um, and then everything else I, I tend not to care about. Because like, I, like we've joked about you know, at the start of this chat, that you know everybody's just so offended these days, like you. You can't get away with anything. Mm. And just yesterday, I saw this article. <laughs> it, it feels strange commenting because I, I, I don't care. I just find it entertaining. But yesterday, I saw this article about chest feeding. Chest feeding. And I'm like, I was just, I was just thrown because I'm like, is, are we, what are we trying to say? Like, or what are they trying to am say? I, am I too smooth-brained for that? Like, what is chest feeding? So, essentially, it's um, transgender breastfeeding. Or, oh. or not breast, since it's, it's, it's chest. I see. I see. Okay. So, that, uh, a person who's transitioned into a woman would, would uh, be suckling a child? Um, apparently, yeah, because some, some of these women, as you're apparently supposed to address them as, some of these women, they, they lactate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Mm, I, I think you should just, you know, you should just advance <laughs> to the next question. Yeah, okay. I, I don't want to, to lose <laughs> out on a possible audience before I, before I continue um, I on this journey. I want the whole community to come for you and with pitchforks. And, um, I got you. I got you. Stuff. I suppose then I can share my uh, controversial idea. I don't think it should be controversial, but... I don't agree with this idea that people don't judge people. Right? Yeah. I'll explain. Um, I think judgment is a core part of the human experience. It's what we used when we were in the bush to determine if the rustling in the grass was something that was going to eat us or if it was food. Right? In, in today's day, we make judgments on the fly. You know, we look at something's packaging and we say this is what it is i feel judgment in and of itself in isolation is normal it's almost expected but i feel where we kind of go off the rails is when you judge something and then the judgment you make is concretized that's the be all and end all of everything so if i make a judgment about you it's final right exactly and then I don't try and challenge that idea or I'm not open to challenging that idea. I just keep my judgment and I use it as fact. I feel that's kind of the departure that people make. So when persons say, oh, I don't judge, I don't judge. Of course, you're judging persons, but then don't hold so tightly to the judgment that you're making and then assume that this is supposed to apply to the, 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 the person or the thing as a forever deal, right? Yeah. Don't make it final. Um, so if that's controversial, I don't know, but I just feel a little differently about that idea. I don't know. Um, I've, I've been told a lot that, you know, just by being myself, I'm judging people mm. you know, by, by saying, Hey, you know, you should have some veg. <laughs> I'm judging people. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I just was very opinionated. Mm -hmm. And if you ask, I'm going to tell if you don't, I'm not. Hmm. And so, you know, people will see my lifestyle, lifestyle and they're like, oh, Kyle, you, you act like you're perfect. And you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you do the exercise and you, you eat this and you eat that. And I'm like, if I'm just like you, you just choose to do something and I choose to do something. Right. But apparently that's being judgmental. Hmm. Um, you know, if I post a photo of my abs, it's me body shaming and it's what i'm saying like everybody is just so sensitive and right they're offended and i'm like okay cool i'll be over here <laughs> yeah i mean i mean i feel offended if you posted the photo of your abs because <laughs> i'm trying to get to a place where i'm trying to get abs and to see kyle um absolutely shredded i'm going to be like listen man listen you're making my journey so much more difficult by showing the world that you are so much better than me. I guess it's just at a level for other persons. They, they see within themselves something that um, they want residing in someone else. Uh -huh. At least I've, I've heard that that is what jealousy is described as. Your potential realized in someone else. So maybe... Yeah, maybe you are realizing the potential of persons who have not yet realized it. And they're like, I don't like you for that. 
Um, what? Yeah. That's uh, that's how it is. Yeah, they're just not motivated, you know. Right. It's so much more fun to just chew on a cheeseburger than to to do sit ups. Yeah, it is. It is more fun, you know. Or maybe it's an idea that hasn't yet lost value for them. Maybe they haven't lost value in eating a cheeseburger. But uh, yeah, but, but on the flip side of all of that, if you <laughs> last year, um, last year I was helping one of my friends from this group that they they sort of coined as the fact the fact friends group, mm-hmm. um, and I'm in it. And I'm there, and I remember I posted to to WhatsApp. I posted a couple, you know, figures of men and women in you know different sizes and stuff. And I was like, "Love yourself." Mm. I wasn't saying to love facts or to dig a grave with your teeth. I was just saying love yourself because you will have people look in the mirror and they just you know, they, they get depressed, they get suicidal. Mm. But if you love yourself, then you're gonna want better for yourself. And if you don't learn to love yourself at every size, not every, you know, stage in your metamorphosis, then you really don't love yourself. You love the ideal self and you might never get there. That's heavy. That is heavy. I think we're getting to the port, the heavy portion of this conversation. <laughs> this is for real, for real. Are you going to cut here a commercial and be like, okay, man, I, I can't wait for the day that people, do, this is the perfect, <laughs> moment to just slide in a sponsorship but that's true i feel i found myself at several points in my life thinking about the ideal version of me and getting very emotionally attached to that but not getting emotionally attached to the 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 state that i'm in right now even if i'm on the way to the the finish line right Mm -hmm. i i i want to, to embrace that idea of I haven't failed. I'm just in the middle of winning, right? I'm just in the in. I'm in transition to winning, so I don't. That kind of changes my mindset towards what I perceive as a failure now, or a part of me that isn't fulfilled yet. So, yeah. I mean, this has been a fantastic conversation. Are there any like? tips that you would leave for any creatives listening to this or any non-creatives listening to this uh, for what they should be doing creatively if they want to do anything creatively? Um, Well, it depends on what type of creative they are, but it's really simple. You have to start. If you don't start, you're just going to be dreaming and hoping and talking without action and you're just gonna to sit on the talent until the better parts of it they come and pass you by the opportunities that you don't know about come and pass you by so yeah i think that's what it's about starting for me it i actually i never would have started if i did not get sick i was in bed for a very long time from like the last week in august to the last week in october and during that time that i was ill i would just watch and watch and watch i'd watch films and so i'm so tired of films and then i'd read and then just i just got tired of it all and then 
I was like, okay, I'm tired of watching things from the US and UK and God knows where else. And what about our content? What is there for me to read about, you know, what is there for me to read that is fiction about hair? Mm-hmm. And there was nothing that I could find that would, uh, you know, entertain me in the slightest. And so I was like, do we have like famous writers of fiction? Is is that any, does that exist? Nope doesn't really exist and if it does it, it it was very dull to me and um i'd look at writers like uh, a nicholas sparks or even william shakespeare and i'm like we need to have that you know we have everything in music we have everything in, well, in some of our sports and you know we have the education and we we have the talent here it's just that there's no real avenue to put it on display or to cultivate it and so, you know, that's where the birth of my first novel, you know, took place. And, you know, ideas were written down on a day to day. And I remember I was discussing it with my sister. Um, she was there for the whole creative process. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I just sit like on a dresser in her room and I'd be like, what do you think the, you know, the female character should be called or the, the male character? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then I tell her about the story. I'm like, what do you think? What do you think? And I'm pretty sure that days it was just annoying, but that was me starting. That was me playing with the idea. And in high school, I did meet, you know, fellow students and friends who were just so, so talented and so skillful at poetry. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea what they were saying at the time. And if someone that young could feel what they were writing, but, you know, it was just impressive. And when I saw the same thing coming out of me, um, having been sick for that short period, I'm like, okay, cool, I've started. And by the February, I had publishing offers. So you have to, you have to, to skip beyond the shadows, you know, you have to skip beyond the unknown and the, oh, I might fail or mm-hmm. you know, people have a pin, people always have their opinions, you know, failure is just an opportunity to learn. And if you don't start, then you'll just wonder, you know, what if I had? So my only advice is to start, just don't do anything nefarious or anything, <laughs> you know, illegal to, to get into whatever your skill set is i think that's very important to to, i am (laughs) not advocating for anyone to do anything illegal please yeah and the opportunities to tempt you are there so you know just make sure that you're of sound mind and, Mm -hmm. and that there's integrity to what you're creating so that it's it's from a place of you know genuine residence and this is something that you just want to impart to to those who find meaning in it all right and with that i think i think we we, we've tied the bow on this conversation for now thank you thank you for being here thank you for showing up thank you for sharing your story thanks well just thank you and thank you for sticking around for still being here and since you are here there are a few things that i would like you to do if you have found any sort of value in this conversation first is follow the show or subscribe to the show 
wherever it is that you are listening to this from it is available on most podcasting platforms like spotify apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher amazon music and if there is something that i missed something you didn't like something that you did like you are able to reach out to me through social media i'm trying to do the social media thing i'm learning as i grow so be kind be gentle but be fair be honest with me um instagram it is the underscore creators box same thing for tiktok and for twitter if you want to tweet at me it's creatives underscore box that's it be free my children and until the next time we meet right here in the box Mm.